Happy November. Come on, it's November. This is crazy, crazy weekend, right? You had like the, us falling back into standard time, however that makes sense. But uh, anybody get an extra hour of sleep? Yeah, last night? Yeah, look, look, just, if you don't have kids, I'm just going to kind of break the bad news now. Because once you have kids, like you're so pumped, you can get the extra hour. Anybody's kids wake up the same time they normally do. So now it was like 5 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. It was just a crazy, crazy scene for us. It's a big uh, week, weekend for us. In the Rohan family, my grandmother, Mom Lee, turned 93 on Friday. That's crazy. That's crazy. Officially, like the oldest person here at Stone Creek by like 25 years. Uh, and uh, you don't look a day over 85. I mean, you just look amazing. <laughs> but my grandma, my grandma gave me my first opportunity to preach when I was 13 years old at her church in South Florida. And so it's just kind of a really cool deal to have her here. And uh, you get to listen to me twice today. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but... Um, Man, I love our church. I love our church. I hope you love our church too. I love that we, um, we, we want to elevate the name of Jesus. As you walked in, you look up, it says elevate the name of Jesus. Um, gosh, our, our creative team created this. Uh, they, they, they hate it when I call it like a mobile because they think it's like a baby mobile hanging above like a thing. But there's this mobile outside in our lobby that like says the name of Jesus. And we're all about Jesus. And we're all about transformation. We believe that Jesus can transform your life, that Jesus can transform our church. And if, like, if you look in our seats right now, there's pieces of paper. You can take notes. If there's anything that sounds great coming out of my mouth today, you can write that down and maybe you can remember it throughout the week. But also uh, there's an opportunity for you to write your transformation story so we can know it. Uh, because as pastors, as leaders of this church, and just even as a, a church altogether, I, know, I don't know about you, um, but, but it brings me great joy when I get to hear the transformation story of other people's lives. And so a couple weeks ago, I got this story and I wanted to share it with you. Um, she says this, she goes, I haven't, atten- I haven't attended Stone Creek in almost six years. But I wanted to share what the church did for me when I did. She had moved away. She goes, I lived in Alpharetta for about a year back in 2014 to 2015 and attended here while I did. And when I came, I was a brand new Christian and had recently come out of an abusive relationship with a very dark depression leading to three suicide attempts. The people in this church helped me grow in my faith in the Lord. And for the first time in my life, it made me feel seen and loved. She says she got connected with the Bible study who challenged me in my faith and became my safe place, helping me build a foundation of faith that sent me out as I moved back to Minnesota to then become a leader with the youth at my new church. God is using my story in beautiful ways, just as he used this church. Thank you. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it incredible? That, that this place, this isn't a place that we just want people to come to and hang out and like, you know, uh, hang out with each other, maybe even build community. But we want this to be a place, a, a place of transformation. And so, so, so we're uh, going to start a new series today uh, about Jesus. And it's interesting that, that once we start thinking um, back on series and thinking back on, on Jesus and, and, and what Jesus has meant to us, I, I think many of us, sometimes we, we get stuck in elementary school. It's just interesting that Paul, some people, most people believe that he was the writer of Hebrews. He goes, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Now, I have three kids. I have a six-year-old, four-year-old, and a two-year-old. My six-year-old's uh, in first grade, and, and she's learning all kinds of great stuff. She loves addition, and she loves to read, and uh, she gets to come home every day and kind of tell me what she's learning uh, in school. But, but how, how weird would it be that if Riley grew in years, so she goes from six to 16 to 26, but stayed in first grade? I think we can all get ourselves there. Like when we're in first grade, there's very, there's very few problems. I mean, we're still trying to be included. We're, Riley's still trying to be a part and be friends with everybody. But, but, but life hasn't really hit her hard yet. 
And what if she took the principles of, of elementary school of first grade and tried to apply them to herself when she was 26? She wouldn't, she wouldn't have a fighting chance. And church, I think many of us in our lives, there's been moments in our lives that we've kind of stepped into school, stepped into learning about Jesus, and we've got some of those elementary principles, but then life began to hit you in your face. And I don't know about you, but if you take those elementary principles that we learned and that we know, and we try to apply them to real day life and real day tragedy, it's really difficult to continue to follow Jesus. And so, so we decided as, as a church, as a teaching team, that, that we're going to start a new series called Mosaic. Can you, can you guys say mosaic? <laughs> mosaic, such a fun word. And mosaic is a picture made up of small parts. So we wondered together that like if we could take Jesus and the different titles of Jesus, the different attributes of Jesus, the different nouns and personification of Jesus, and if we could build the picture together, then maybe just maybe we could leave elementary school and jump into college. You guys ready to take the ride? Let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, thank you so much for this place. Thank you so much for these people. Thank you so much for your word. And I pray, Jesus, that you interpret the words out of my mouth into the hearts of these people listening. And I pray, Jesus, that we can grow closer to you, that we can have a better understanding of you, and that, Jesus, you would begin to, to build the picture, build the puzzle into our lives so we can have a complete picture of knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so, so when, when you introduce... Um, yourself to someone, uh, how do you introduce yourself? Like if you're meeting somebody for the first time, do you go up to them and go, hey, you know, do I go, hey, my name is Ryan. Um, do, do, I, do I go, my name is Ryan Rohan. Uh, what is your introduction to people? Uh, I think it's interesting that as we look back at scripture, one of the building blocks, one of the pieces of the puzzle we want to uh, plant for you today is the title that Jesus referred to him the most throughout scripture. Uh, over 80 times, Jesus referred to himself in this certain title. Do you have any clue what it is? I mean, just think about it. Uh, maybe many of you go, like, oh yeah, he's gonna refer to himself as the Messiah. Come on, it's easy. Savior of the world, God. Jesus refers to himself, check this out, this is crazy. Jesus refers to himself over 80 times as Jesus, son of man. Son of man. What, what do you refer yourself as? If you wanted to meet people and you were meeting hundreds of thousands of people, like what do you want people to remember you as? What, what title are you going to give them? Jesus gives us son of man, but I think it's interesting what, 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 what we may give other people. Uh, many of you guys want to go, hey, my name is Ryan and I, I'm a pastor. Maybe, maybe that's the first go. Is that, is that really what I want people to remember me as? I hope not. Hey, hey, my name is Ryan and I'm a, I'm a father. I have three, three amazing kids. Is that really what I want you to know and remember me as? Maybe me as a husband, Jesus, he felt it. He felt it so huge and so large to be referred to as Jesus, son of man. And there wasn't even a close second. There's only one other time that somebody else referred to Jesus as son of man. So this is Jesus' title going, hey, this is, this is what I want you to call me. And I think it's so interesting that this title he chose for himself didn't just show his connection to God, but that it showed his connection to man. Uh, Jesus, his, his title, the, the, the thing that he wanted us uh, to know and, and wanted us to identify with was not necessarily, number one, that he was God, but number one, he was man. One of the first times we, we see this scripture unravel is, is in uh, Mark chapter 2, where, where, where Jesus um, 
is hanging out with, with, with a ton of people and, and there's this house and the house gets filled. And there's so many people in the house that they're not just in the house, but they're outside the house. They're peeking through windows. And, and then there was this crippled man, a man who couldn't walk. He had four friends and his four friends kind of grabbed the man and the mat and walked him to the house where Jesus was going to be. They get to the house and it's too crowded. No, no more room here. The crippled man couldn't step on his tippy toes to, to, to listen to Jesus. And so the friends grabbed the mat and somehow hired him up onto the roof. And as Jesus was beginning to preach and teach and as people were gathered and, and listening to what Jesus was said, uh, these friends began to dig into the roof. And they lowered this crippled man right in front of Jesus. It would be like modern day today, like we're hanging out in a service today. And I'm not Jesus, but I'm trying to preach the word. I'm trying to teach. And four of you guys just came and kind of like laid someone right here. I mean, you guys are thinking, right, Ryan, what are you going to do? And I'm going, I have no clue. I don't know. And Jesus is there. Silence fills the room. And without much interaction, Jesus goes, hey, stand up. Your sins are forgiven. Now, now, this was a shock in the community. This was early on in the scene of Jesus. And so the conservative Christians, the teachers of the law, they're like, whoa, 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 what, what did you just say? You just forgave this man? You just told us, you just told him that his sins were forgiven? And they didn't say these things out loud, but, but Jesus heard them. And Jesus says this in Mark chapter 2. He goes, what is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and take your bed and walk? He goes, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. I think it's interesting that, that Jesus uses this title for himself early on in scripture. And I think we could take two takeaways from this story. Uh, one, a bunch of people had gathered together. A bunch of us have gathered together this morning. And most people in that house, most people in that room were coming to listen to the words of Jesus. I love that we have church goers and you guys will come and sit in the seats and are eager to learn and grow and hear of the ways of Jesus. But, but, but then there was this other crew of people, these other, these other five guys, the four friends and the, and the, and the paralytic. They, came, they, they didn't just want to come and hear the words of Jesus. They wanted to experience Jesus. They weren't satisfied to sit on the road. They weren't satisfied uh, just to take some notes. They wanted to get in front of Jesus, and they had a very specific need they needed from Jesus that day. And I don't know what you're, you're coming in here with. I don't know what frustrations you've walked through these last couple of days or these couple of weeks. I don't know what kind of hurt or tragedy you're dealing with. But my fear, my fear for us today is that we come and we hear the teachings of Jesus, but we don't experience him. So question today, what, what do you need from Jesus today? Because I think as we built the picture of Jesus in our head, we know a lot about Jesus, but we don't know Jesus. We know that, that, that Jesus is, is the son of God. We, we know that Jesus is healer. We know Jesus is father. But, but do you know him? And in that moment, thousands of years ago, these friends and this paralytic, they, they, they so needed to know Jesus as healer. They so needed to know Jesus as forgiver. And Jesus goes, hey, the son of man forgave you. Number two, Jesus forgives you. 
I think we talk about this in the church often. We, we know that, that Jesus' sacrifice for us offers each and every one of us forgiveness of everything that we've done. But could you imagine being in the paralytic's shoes on his mat? And he was looking for, for, for physical healing, but Jesus says, dude, I forgive you. The dude that was crippled, he had sins too. He had made mistakes too. He had messed up bad relationships too. He had gotten in fights too. He'd been shady too. And Jesus didn't just look at him and go, dude, go out and walk and have fun and like get to experience joy through walking and running and using your legs again. He looked at this guy and goes, dude, you're forgiven. And look, look, look at me. If Jesus was here, one of the first things he would say is, is hey, I forgive you. I forgive you from the fight you had last night with your spouse. I forgive you for the mistakes you've made with your kids. I forgive you what, what you were thinking about all day yesterday. I, I forgive you about that thing that nobody else knows and you kind of keep locked back deep in your past. Jesus goes, man, I forgive you. And I don't know about you, but, but the only way that really I believe that somebody can empathize with me is if they walk through the same thing that I walk through. You have friends in your life that maybe you call and you're down and out and it's just like throwing a Hail Mary and you call them and go, dude, I'm struggling. I want to walk away. I'm out. I'm done. I'm through. And many of us, we have those friends that are like, oh, we don't know, we don't know what to say. I'm, I'm sorry. I wish I could take that cup from you. But, but the difference between uh, that type of friend and a friend that you know is going to last forever and that really cares is a friend that like shows up at your doorstep. That who doesn't just wait for your call, but, but that friend begins to call you back. And this is the story of Jesus. Jesus, son of man. Jesus could have stayed in heaven forever. But, but Jesus decided to come down from heaven and live with us and experience everything that we've experienced. In Hebrews 2.17, it says this, For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Jesus not only forgives you because he's God, and that's what God has to do. Jesus forgives you because he knows what you're walking through. Jesus experienced it. I think a lot of us, maybe in this room, and probably a lot of us who aren't in this room, we, we look at Jesus, Jesus in two main ways. Like, we either think Jesus, like from Sunday school, from early on, that he's just like tooth fairy Jesus, that he's just kind of floating around and kind of shows up and gives us prizes every now and then. Or, or we think of this like uh, judgmental, fundamental Jesus that gets us in trouble all the time. And Jesus, this son of man, his first declaration, the one that he described himself over and over and over again, he's going, man, I, I'm not this tooth fairy Jesus. I'm not this wild, judgmental Jesus. I'm this Jesus that wants to live life with you. The, the significance of Jesus' humanity is that, that he knows and he understands. And he knows at a level that no one else knows so he can help like no one else can. That's the significance of why and the reason why Jesus became as man. So he could empathize. So he could walk alongside. And he wouldn't feel like this far off deity that never became humanity. Jesus knows what it feels like to be under, misunderstood. 
We see this in Matthew 12 where Jesus is teaching and preaching and like some people are like, dude, is, is he a demon? Have you ever felt misunderstood? In your marriage? In a friendship? At work? Teenagers, come on. You feel misunderstood? You just don't understand me. Jesus, Jesus was there. And Jesus is willing to bridge the gap and go, on, dude, dude I, I know you feel misunderstood, but, but hey, I, I feel mis or I felt misunderstood as well. And Jesus knows what it feels like to lose a best friend. When was the last time you were scrolling through Facebook and you see that the friend passed away or your grandma passed away, the, the call you got, the tragedy? You remember Lazarus died and Jesus cried? Jesus wasn't that guy who was just like, it's all good. I'm fine. I'm God. It's, 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 it's fine. No, no, Jesus began to cry at the loss of his best friend. Whatever loss that you've endured, whatever tragedy that has smashed into your life, there's been different tragedies and death that Jesus had to walk through as well. Jesus knows what it feels like or looks like to lose a father. We know that uh, Joseph was there when Jesus was born. Joseph was there when uh, they lost Jesus in the temple where Jesus like ran away. Do you remember the story? But from 13 to 33, we really don't see Joseph in the scene. And so for many years of, our, of his life, we don't know how long, but Jesus lived without a father. We see this uh, and Mary kind of looking at Jesus as the head of their household. We see this when Jesus was on the cross and he's looking at his disciples. He's like, will you just please take care of my mom? Jesus knows. He knows what it feels like to be stressed. <laughs> Anybody stressed in here? Anybody anxious? Anybody worried? I mean, think about the weight that Jesus had. Yes, he was fully God, but gosh, he was fully man. And Jesus knew that this death was going to happen for him. Jesus knew that he was going to have to endure all this pain and all this suffering. He was stressed so much that he began to sweat. And instead of sweat, blood poured out of his pores. Panic attacks. Anxiety. Wanting just to escape and get away. Like Jesus is begging to God, please, 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 will you just remove this cup from me? Have you been there? All alone? Nobody will get it? Jesus, man, he, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it feels to be stabbed in the back by one of his best friends. Any heartbreak in relationships? A spouse? Friend? Your mom or your dad, they were, they were in, they were there, they were, they were going to make it happen, and then, and then they walk away? Judas, one of his best friends, he sold Jesus out for a few silver coins, a little, a little bit of money, just a little advantage. Jesus, he, he knows. Jesus knows what it feels like to be tempted. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but as he's in the wilderness, the devil comes and begins to tempt him, just like he tempted Adam and Eve. 
And it wasn't just like a quick temptation, the devil laughed. Like it was a while. Jesus was at his low. At any moment, Jesus could have picked a different side, but he fought against temptation. Do you feel like you're all alone in temptation? Nobody knows how much and how often and how difficult temptation is. How many thoughts of self-harm? How many thoughts of looking at yourself and your figure and saying you're not good enough? How tempting it is to make that deal at work or to go after hours at work and hang out with that someone? Jesus was tempted just like you and I, and he knows. Jesus knows what it feels like to be lonely. You have COVID these last two years, whether you're married, whether you're not, it's been a season of loneliness. And I don't know what Jesus's life was, was fully like before the age of 30. There's this gap between like kid and 30. But we know that Jesus wasn't married. We, we know that Jesus was single, that he had a job. And then he gathered these 12 guys together and they went on mission. But at the end of his life, you've probably read it in the scriptures, these guys begin to get flaky. Thomas was like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Peter's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, make myself into your squad because then I'm, that's, that's going to happen to me. Like, I, I'm out. Judas was like, yeah, I'm, I'm for real out. Like, here, give me some cash. And at many points in Jesus' life, and he, he had to be lonely. It's interesting that, that Jesus had a ton of followers, but, but there was, had to be moments of him just feeling lonely all by himself. At the end of his life, am I really doing this, God? Am I really going to face this brutal death? Can, can someone come rescue me? Jesus knows fear. Jesus knows what, what the end looked like. And although Jesus wanted to die for you and for me, like the fear of walking up that hill with that cross, being nailed to it, that the fear of what that death would look like had to be overbearing. Do you feel any type of fear today? Any fear this week? And uh, no, nobody gets it, Ryan. He knows. Jesus knows what it feels like to be an influential leader of an organization. And I think we, we forget, like, yeah, G Jesus is God. Cool, got it. But like, Jesus started this movement, this organization of Christianity uh, that has had everlasting impact. He was at the top, and he had to lead these ragtag group of guys alongside with him. They would sell him out along the way. He felt the pressure of leading. Jesus knows what it feels like to be forgotten. We, we, we all can remember like a moment maybe like uh, early on that we were on top of the world. Uh, for me, it was like Little League at 12 years old. It hit like a walk-off single and I'm like, oh, I'm the champion of the world. Everybody's crowding around me and it was like a preseason game or something. You've had a moment like that where you've just, you've won. <laughs> you were on top. But quickly after you're on top, there's been moments where you just felt completely alone and forgotten. 
And Jesus, he, he was out on top, but when it got really tough, people, people backed out. I don't know. Jesus knows racism. Jesus was shunned because of the color of his skin. Jesus was made fun of because of his people, the Jewish people. I think so often in our lives, man, we really want somebody, a friend, a to, to know and empathize with us. But, but a, friend, a friend can't know all those things. But Jesus, identified as the Son of Man, he's going, but I know. And I think it's interesting that, that Jesus doesn't just know and that Jesus doesn't just, want, doesn't just want to have a phone conversation with you, but, but Jesus is seeking after you. He doesn't want to send you a postcard and just tell you, hey, I know what you're going through. That'd be helpful. He doesn't want to send you just a text message or a little video and go, hey, I get it. But Jesus is seeking after you. Luke 19, 10 says Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. I said I have three kids, six, four, and two. And uh, they love to play hide and seek. Come on. Um, and uh, so like uh, many times, Riley, my six-year-old, would be like, Ryan, dad, no, I'm not Ryan. Dad, dad, dad. Hey, hey we play, we play hide and go seek. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me go hide. And she's like, no, 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 no. I want you to seek. Okay, okay. And I'll go hide. And like, just like any perfect parent, like when you, when you count, you cheat, you know, because you got to know where your kids are going. Like, that's just no fun if they really out, do fool you. And you tell your kids not to cheat, but you cheat. That's just fine. But, but uh, like, I'll count. And I'm cheating. I know exactly where she is. And uh, like any great dad, right, I'm walking around the house. And I know she's not in this room. But uh, I'll go, hey, is, is Riley in this room? You know? And what typically happens is, is, is a little giggle happens, right? Like, like she's tricked me. And uh, okay, and I'll walk over here. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if Riley is over here. Now, now if all three kids are playing, uh, Bradley will be completely quiet, uh, my, my four-year-old son. And Carly, my two-year-old, she'll just be naked somewhere. Like, she'll just be naked somewhere running around. And you're like, oh, all right, yeah, you, you, I, I, I found you. But, but Riley, she'll stay hidden. And I'll know where she is. And I'll go underneath the cabinet and open the door and I'll find her. Or I'll go up into her bedroom and, and throw the comforter off and fi find her. And if you've ever played hide-and-go-seek with your kids, what is the first thing they do when they're caught? They laugh. They're full of joy. It's rarely ever a time where Riley's mad. It's part of the game. And she wants to be found. And this game we play with Jesus is sometimes very similar. Like Jesus is the seeker. Jesus is the finder. He will never hide. You will never have to go, okay, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm going to try to come find you. No, Jesus is going, no, 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 no. No, I, I want to find you because I've been sent on mission. I, I, I've executed a search party and I'm leading the search party and I want to come find you. But, but I think what happens is we don't need to tell Jesus where we are because he knows. But, but, but maybe just maybe for your soul and for your heart, Maybe you need to give him a clue for you. Because I think many of us, we hide and we don't want to be found. We're not playing a game. 
We don't want Jesus to find us because if Jesus finds us, then, then what? When I find Riley, usually what I do is I'll, I'll pick her up <laughs> and I'll hold her tight. And I tell her, hey, I found you. And I will always find you because <laughs> I'm your dad. When Jesus was hanging out with his disciples at the very end, Jesus, Jesus says this in Matthew 16. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And he said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. I want to ask you that same question this morning. Let's graduate elementary school. Let's walk into college. Let's, let's enter into the lab of your own life. Begin to dig a little deeper. Who do you say the son of man is? Who do you need the son of man to be today? Peter was pumped for the first time in scripture. He's like, no, 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 oh, oh you're, you're God. You are God. God. First time in scripture, you are God. He had to declare it. What are you walking through today that you need to declare to Jesus? No, 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 Jesus, you're this. Jesus, you, know, you are father today. Jesus, I need you to be friend today. I need you to be healer. Can you just be counselor? Who do you say the Son of Man is? Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. And I pray, Jesus, that you continue to work into our lives, into our hearts. I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you came and declared of yourself that you're the Son of Man. I'm so thankful that you can identify with me, that you forgive me, that, that you know. You know my pain. You know my frustration. You know my hurt. You know my temptations. Jesus, and knowing all of that, you still seek after me. And I pray, Jesus, that I don't stay hiding and that when you find me, <laughs> we can have the most incredible joy that you have to offer. Jesus, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, everybody said, <laughs>